Mentor is an intimate discussion with influential women about their hero's journey. We believe that behind every strong woman is a struggle to success narrative that's helped shape her life. Many times through others' stories, we can discover how to navigate our own. I am your host, Marla Isaacson, founder and chief boss of likeabossgirls.com, and this is Mind of a Mentor. Lily Rose Valour was a high school student when she was kicked out of her home for being gay. Despite this, she did not give up and stayed in shelters in order to finish school. She was then accepted into the Boston Conservatory, the formerly independent performing arts conservatory. It was this early experience with independence that made her realize she wanted to be a girl. Not being accepted by her parents helped her make the decision to transition her sophomore year of college, which in her words, was the best thing she could have ever done. This alignment of passion and identity has made her feel strong, honest, and loved. Lily's story is for young men and women who simply want to live their truth. Identifying as trans is never an easy decision. We look deeper into Lily's journey and how others can learn from her courageous act. I want to thank you very much for for doing this, first of all. It's in a really important series that we're working on, and I think your experience is really very relevant for a lot of our readers. So I, I want to thank you. Oh, not a problem at all. I, I am very grateful. You know, there's not many opportunities like this out here. Our pleasure. So mm-hmm. can you give me a sense of where were you raised? Did you Were you raised in Boston? Yes, um, I was raised, I'm born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts, um, in a little town named South End, which is not far away from actually where I go to school now. And I grew up there um, pretty much all my life. Um, we, I got into dance, basically dancing through my um, mother, biological mother, and basically she put me into the Boston Ballet School, which um, furthered my dance training for years and years. They got me on point on what did I needed to do for school, and basically, um, gave me the technique and foundation that I needed in order to, you know, continue my studies in dance. But specifically going back, um, I did live with my mother up until the age of 18, which was um, my junior year of high school. And, um, um, yeah, there was a situation um, where, you know, I finally spoke to my mother and basically, um, you know, let her know that, you know, I want to transition. I want to, you know, I feel trans. I feel I'm in a woman's you know, my mind and mentality as a woman. And so I explained this to her just because I felt it was a very vital age. And, it's, you know, it's a very vulnerable time because, you know, you are going from the teen years to, you know, beginning of adulthood. And it's very just like a, it's a hard time. So I felt that, you know, I could share this information with my mother because we were so much, we were so very close. It actually didn't go out that way. Uh, my mother didn't agree with you know, she didn't agree with what I was choosing. She didn't like the lifestyle due to family influences because, you know, my family is very religious and didn't really approve of, you know, transitioning. They they said things like, you're going against what, you know, God has put out there for you and, and you know, all this all these things. And I didn't feel that it was the necessary, it wasn't the necessary way to, you know, react, but I also felt like in order for me to 
embrace and fully be who I am, I have to, I can't be in an environment like that. And so, you know, we further talked about it, and my mother asked, actually just said, you know, I need you to leave. You can't be here. You can't live here. And, you know, my 18-year-old self was just very, I was very confused. I'm, I'm so young. I don't know what I was going to do. She was just like, you need to leave. I can't have you here. You're ashamed. You're shaming our family. So then I went upstairs and did exactly what I've always done. I've always listened to my mother, so I wasn't going to disobey her then. So then I just packed my stuff, and the next morning I left, and I never came back. When you realized that you mm-hmm. were not feeling comfortable in, in terms of who you are, your identity. Was it mm-hmm. 18 or much earlier? I knew, you know, I, I think by 18 I had, I had gathered the information and everything it meant to be trans because before that I didn't really have the knowledge of what it meant and because it's something that's still fairly new in our environment, I think um, it was something at the time where I didn't know about. I just knew that I was a feminine male at the time and that um, I needed to get that information. The resources I got were basically offline, searching at people who felt right. the same as me and how they, you know, move forward with their life. And then I further figured out, okay, I think this is similar to what I want to do. I definitely knew earlier um, before I was, maybe when I was eight years old, I mean, I knew that I was gay at the time because I was, I identified as a male. And so at that time, I knew when I was eight years old, even maybe before, because I remember times where I would want girl toys and girl clothes rather than mm-hmm. trucks and boy toys for Christmas. And my mother actually did buy me like a Barbie. I remember there's this ad back in the day for a Barbie talking townhouse. And she, um, I remember <laughs> she got for me because I was like, I saw it and I wanted that. And I would bother her every time the commercial came on. <laughs> and that was around eight years old. But I think our brains are not as processed and we don't know these things at that age. Like for me, I just knew something was different and something felt different. And even though I didn't have the terminology, I still kind of went with it, you know, in and out of it throughout my time, which I think is an important point because, you know, a lot of people say, you know, this is a choice and this isn't something, and I want to be very clear, you know, this isn't something that's a choice. It's something that is kind of like embedded in us. It's, It's who we are, who we grew up being. And that's why I think that, you know, people, in general, should stop seeing it as, you know, by chance or something that we're choosing. Honestly, I mean, I remember it was just something that was natural. With that in mind, as you were growing up from 8 to 10 or whenever it was, how did you navigate through school? How did you deal with your peers? Oh, so, yeah, that was definitely a um, tough time, too, because a lot of peers, I think as children when we're younger, um, children are very vocal. And they notice a lot of things. You know, I notice, I've even noticed that in my day-to-day life today that, you know, a lot of young children are vocal. So I remember being in elementary school and looking a lot more feminine. I used to wear, like, my hair in ponytails and puffs and stuff and not wear braids because, and even though, I, you know, I would ask my mom, you know, don't braid my hair. I just want it in a ponytail. I would tuck my shirt a type a certain way. And students would definitely comment on it, which would be, I think, was the hardest part from maybe the age of 10, I mean, sorry, eight years old to going into like middle school, I noticed maybe all the way up until eighth grade, that was, it was a very hard time for me because peers would just, you know, make fun of me. They would say things like, oh, look, why is he doing that? And then they'll say things like he, she, and, you know, teachers caught on because it's a huge thing when someone's saying something, especially in front of the teachers. I've noticed times where teachers got, you know, on their toes and they got awkward, sometimes said things, sometimes they haven't because they don't know how to handle situations or how to explain, and people are afraid of the unknown. 
so that that was really a big thing um, growing up in school. When do you think your mom knew? She's a very smart woman. I think the reason why I think I know she knew is because she, I would come to her with these little clues and things and ask her, like, hey, can I wear this? Can I put this makeup on and wear your heels around? And I think that that was kind of like a, I think for her she knew, and I think for my um, father it was kind of like a phase. They didn't really think much of it. And I think both, so he spoke to her about it, and I think that it was kind of like, okay, this is just a phase. You know, he'll get through it. But then I think my mother noticed that it wasn't just something that was happening at a certain period of time. It just continued. And so she went with it. So I think she she knew for the longest time. But I think it was just this thing that was embedded in her head that it was kind of like a, a phase, and it wasn't something that would last. So you were talking about going to ballet schools. When did you actually go to ballet school? So the Boston Ballet School was, I started that school when I was eight years old. So I started when I was in elementary school. And then I danced at the Boston Ballet until my uh, sophomore year of high school. So that was a long time. Um, And the reason I had to actually stop going to Boston Ballet, because I ended up getting accepted into the Boston Arts Academy, which is um, Boston's only public performing arts high school in the area. Like, we don't have... The other one is Walnut Hill, but that's further out. So um, I got accepted into the Boston Arts Academy, and I had to choose between going to a full-time ballet school or going to the Boston Arts Academy where I could not only get ballet, but also get different styles of dance that were Mm -hmm. offered there. Me and my mother felt that it was a better deal for me because I would be offered and open to different choreographers and different movement, and so there was just a lot more opportunity. Um, although Boston Ballet was a beautiful school, I just I just felt like I wanted the normal high school experience while being in arts school as well. So I attended there, um, and then junior. So I went there from freshman to senior year, and then I continued my training there. And I found that you know there were so many opportunities. I think this was an and this was an important time because it wasn't a normal high school, so I fit perfectly there. You know there were all different types of people who identified in different ways, you know, gender-wise, sexuality-wise. It was just all different types of people, and I felt like I finally had a space to find myself, not only, and then also feel like I can just feel comfortable and not on my toes all the time. Because as I got older, I realized that more and more people weren't accepting, and they didn't want to be there for me with it. So it was just really hard to find an outlet to figure out who I was. So then I found, you know, a lot of other people, and I think my mother was noticing that as well. She was noticing, she came to the school a few times and noticed that there were different kids. And in a sense, I don't know if that made her uncomfortable, but I think it made her nervous because it it was kind of like, okay, now Miguel at the time, he's going to figure out what he needs to do to be this person that I don't want him to be. And so Mm -hmm. that's where it got really hard and confusing. Um, But I think that it was different from being at Boston Ballet because at Boston Ballet, specifically in ballet, men are men and women are women. So there's no in-between. So there was no space for me to be who I wanted to be. I just had to, you know, conform to this gender and identity and expression that I really wasn't. So it was very different um, from Boston Ballet. You just mentioned your teachers. At that point, was it the kind of relationship where you could talk to them and and get some um, input? Did you have mentors there that you could talk about? Um, your identity and how you felt female and you that you really wanted to transition. If you could just talk about that a little bit in terms of you, you talked to your mom and then she had 
you know, she reacted the way she, she felt was appropriate for her. But who was your mentor then? Who did you get support from? Did you have anyone in your life that was helping you process so, what you were going through? Yeah, so that, that's what we would be moving forward, going into junior year um, after yeah. that tragedy happened. So, yes, junior year is when, and I, I, can, I can say freshman and sophomore year, there was initial support from teachers, but I think, like, I wanted to specify on junior year, which is the primitive year where I get kicked out, and I, that was the moment I can say that it was a terrible thing to get kicked out. But I think that that was the moment where I felt, you know, most at home. Like, I felt like I had the freedom to, you know, either stay on the streets and give up dance and everything or move forward. So what happened? So after I got kicked out, I went back to school, and I went from friend's house to friend's house. I stayed and, until, some, until the family said, you know, we can't keep anymore. We don't have enough. Um, I would speak with the school and basically tell them everything that happened. The school had meetings with my mother after the situation, and she said that there was nothing really that she wanted to, because they were trying to compromise to see if they could, you know, talk to her about the experiences that they saw at school with me and how I can be both ways and fluid and how, you know, it's a beautiful thing and try to influence her to be a little bit more accepting. Um, and they found that that wasn't working. She pretty much had the meeting and said that I don't want any part in him or this situation. You know, I stayed couch to couch, and I realized after a little bit that that, that wasn't working. Um, the school even noticed, you know, some people, like just people just didn't have the facilities to help me out because they already had their own people to worry about. So me and the school mm -hmm. sat down, um, and we found a temporary place where there was a kind mother um, my junior year who kept me basically halfway through junior year um, she was a friend, so she's basically a friend of mine in the dance department, and her mother said, I know how this feels. I've been there. I won't see you lose this talent. And this was a mother who's always been at the Arts Academy and very involved in the school, and she took care of me um, from halfway through my junior year into the summer before my senior year. So during that time, me and her in the school spent time finding shelters you know, places that would be a safe place and hold me for a long amount of time. You know, we were sorting out options, and a lot of places just weren't safe up until the last minute we found a place that was in Brookline, Massachusetts. And basically, this was a shelter that only held four um, men, transitioning men, not even, not, and not transitioning in the sense of transgender, but transitioning men into adulthood. They held mm -hmm. four men. Um, it was a house. It was pretty much rent-free. You just had to basically work and save half of your paycheck every time you got one. So I did an interview process with this program, and the woman was, you know, fascinated with me. She's like, you know, this is such a hard story, and we want to make sure you continue school and graduate. Because my biggest thing at the time, I had no time to dwell on my feelings or be sad about what happened. I had to really just figure out how I'm going to survive and continue high school and graduate on time. And so mm -hmm. um, we pretty much found this woman, and I got accepted into the program. I had three other roommates. I had my own room. Um, I ended up picking up a side job at Chipotle, which is right near my school, and I would go, I would go after school. So usually school ran from 8 a.m. to 5, and then I'd go to 5 to midnight and then go home and do the same thing the next oh, wow. day. And so it would be developing money, and the program put money away so that by the end of the program I had enough money to – live and survive and figure out what I'm going to do. The program could only hold you, though, and it puts up from a span of, um, I think they could only hold you for 
12 months. So that was a whole, not even 12 months, sorry, 14 months. And so that was enough time for me to, you know, finish my senior year, build enough money, and then figure out what I'm doing after school. My guidance counselor at the Boston Arts Academy was really nice and really supportive. I mean, I got so much support at the school. When I was going through this, the teachers were so worried. I think I had a few teachers saying, we didn't even think you were going to come back senior year after what happened. And so they were just very, I think a lot of them were just blessed that I was alive and healthy and doing everything I can to make sure I was getting to where I wanted to be. I think they were just saying that, you know, we don't want you to lose this talent that you have for dance. And so my guidance counselor um, my senior year pretty much guided me to figure out what I wanted to do. And I told her I wanted to go to college. I wanted to pursue higher education. And we can, I will do whatever it takes to figure that out this whole year. So we pretty much sought out different colleges and places. And a lot of the colleges that I auditioned for were dance colleges in a span from Juilliard to Dean College to, you know, um, Fordham to the Boss Conservatory. There are just a wide span of colleges because we were trying to sought out you know, different places that would not only cover me to go to school, but also provide a place for me to live. Because I think the biggest thing here is making sure that I'm housed because, you know, I don't have that initially. When you were at Boston Arts Academy, what was your the ages you were there? I think um, from the ages of 17 to about um, 20, that's where I was there at the school. Because I did initially, because I suffer from a learning disability. So there was a point mm-hmm. in time where I actually got... Um, kept back in first grade so that they could find out my disability and reevaluate it through an IEP. So, yeah, I was there actually a little, I was, I didn't graduate the class I was supposed to, but only because I was being evaluated for um, my IEP. So we talked about Boston Arts Academy, right? What's next? So I get accepted to a few schools. I get accepted to schools like University of the Arts in Philadelphia. I got accepted to Fordham and Dean College, and then I and I found that, you know, these schools weren't, it just wasn't enough. We we really, really tried to find a way for me to have enough money for school and have the resources I needed. And we just found that it wasn't going to be enough for me. So I then auditioned for the Boston Conservatory because I initially, during my junior year, the summer of my junior year, I also did the Boston Conservatory Summer Dance Intensive which was funded through this um, through Boston Arts Academy. So they gave me money to go to this program for three weeks. And so I said, well, I may as well audition for this school because I did the summer program and that kind of can be like a leeway. Also, I've heard beautiful things about the school and we're also, it also is a partnership with Boston Arts Academy. So they fund funded our high school. I know that I knew at the time the dance director of division, Kathy Young, I knew her very um, well. She was the division director at the Boston Conservatory. And um, I spoke with her, and I spoke about my situation, and she said, well, you know what, come on in and audition, and we'll take a look at you, and we will make it so that you can come to the school if this is what you really want. I auditioned, and I think the same day I was told that I was accepted, um, was close to full scholarship, and that they would make sure that I would get, you know, the housing that I needed and the necessary supplies just because, you know, I think with me, I think my dance and dancing spoke for my audition, but I think what Kathy was trying to say is that I think the dedication that you've had these past few years with all that you've gone through has, was a big thing for me. And she said that we need more students like yourself at this school, you know, to represent, you know, that this school takes everyone and of all, and, you know, everyone from all walks of background. So 
it was so amazing. I was, I mean, I was just lost for words because it was my last chance to figure out what I was doing. <laughs> and that just right, seemed right. to drop right into place, which was amazing because I just, I didn't think. And the schools, I mean, I don't know if you mind, but I mean, the school is about 64000 a year. So it is a huge well, prestigious yeah. conservatory. Okay. <laughs> that Right. And then that's like a huge thing that year. Um, I mean, that was just the biggest thing I could have asked for. And I think, you know, it made me graduate a lot. I was calmer when I graduated. I didn't have to worry. Um, and I was, at the time during senior, I was still in the transitional living um, shelter. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, I ended that there because it was the summer before freshman year. And basically the, the conservatory provided me a space um, living in the dorms and made sure that every semester that, you know, we had a meeting and they said, okay, do you have a set place to live? We can make sure you're in the dorms, you know, because I think they knew that that was really important to me. Otherwise, I couldn't do my work as a student at the school. My guidance counselor from the Arts Academy was very proactive about finding me outside resources and funding. You know, I got, I mean, there were just so many different scholarships that you can get. Uh, I got a few scholarships that I found, you know, through the work of myself and my guidance counselor. We found things just for being left-handed or being dis having a disability, which I had at the time, have now. And so, you know, we found different things. But I think, I think the most important thing for me that year was just making sure that, you know, I got to the next level. And I think every year, every time something was working for me, it kind of gave me that confidence to be like, well, I don't need anyone anymore. Not that I don't need anyone, but I don't need the support of my parents if they weren't going to give it to me. You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of people are like, well, don't you feel kind of sad or bad about it? And early on, I did, but I felt like in order for me to be successful and because all these things are happening, I need to kind of move forward. And yeah, so that was kind of what I did senior year. I kind of just said, I'm going to a college. I mean, this is higher education we're talking about. And it was, it was something that I never envisioned myself doing because I didn't think that it would be possible <laughs> in my situation. Do you have a relationship with your parents now at all? Not at all. Okay. I haven't spoken to them since, I mean, well, I was saying since my junior year, so it's been about eight years now, or it might not be. It, okay. It's been a little over okay. some time now. How does that um, make you feel? I think, you know, there's a part, there's two sides to me. I think there's a side of me that always wishes that I could change their mind and you know, put them in a place where they could understand in my perspective. Of course, they'll never understand because they're not in my body. But I think there's always a side to me, you know, that's like, okay, I wish they knew. But then there's another side to me that says at some point in your life, you have to just get, get up yourself and make stuff happen for yourself. And if I don't have that support, you know, from my parents, then I have to move forward. I know a lot of times people get worried because, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving is always a weird time for me which has been really great here at the conservatory because a lot of families and friends have said, no, you are, you can come with us and, you know, you stay with us for Christmas. Like, you know, I've been very grateful for the people here that have given me that space because they know that that time can be very hard without family. But I think most importantly for me is the dedication that I have had. And sometimes I think the more years that I'm away from them, the less it affects me because I know that my biggest, I don't want revenge or anything, but my biggest success is going to be, getting into a company after college and knowing that I did this on my own with the help of other people. Based on your experience, what advice mm -hmm. or what would you hope that parents 
with um, kids who are going through a transition process, how would you advise them to behave, be supportive? What is an appropriate expectation for a parent? What would what would be helpful? I think something I wanted when I was young and going through it, I think was having the resources and support. And it's a different kind of support when it comes from friends, but it's a whole other kind of support when it comes from a family member. So I think for me, what I want to, you know, kind of say to all the parents out there is kind of just making sure that no matter what, no matter how someone in the family may feel, no matter how you may feel, a person is a person and their feelings are valid and who they feel they are is completely valid. I mean, this is a person that they're going to be living with for the rest of their lives. And I I think that's something I find in myself a lot, that I have to live the life I want to live because life is too short. And so with that being said, I think it's important for parents to put all feelings aside and realize that this is someone that they birthed. This is their other half. And it's important to just know that that's how special, that's how connected you are to this human being, and that is why you have to, you know, be there and be the support system because they don't have that. Some people may go to class and feel they're not supported and then come home and not feel supported, might go to work and not feel supported. So all that non-support really takes a toll on someone, and it leads them to things, and unfortunately, is depression and suicide, and we just want to prevent that because I think, I mean, something as simple as giving someone support can change lives. It can change a huge, you know, feeling that or down feeling that someone may be feeling or feeling like, okay, now I feel like no one's supporting me. I have to go and hurt myself. And I feel like I hate to hear stories like that because it could have simply been avoided. I think it's important. I know in a time like this, especially with all that's going on in the world, I think we need to focus on bigger picture things. And I think instead of denying people, or dehumanizing people for who they are, I think we need to focus on what we need to do to make the earth better. So little little things like supporting your child for who they are is, you know, that's that's second nature, and I think it shouldn't be a big problem. Unfortunately, it is. So it's up to people like myself to kind of be that founding person to push forward for difference because it's hard. And I think also so, it's important for me as a person to realize that it's hard for parents too. I, I get it. It's okay for them to say, I'm, I'm asking you this question, look, we have some concerns, um, but we will love you con- unconditionally. Is that is that the kind of message? I mean, parents may sort of have a, a macro picture of some of the challenges that their child, their children will go through. Um, so is it okay to mix those two messages, do you feel? Yes, I agree. I think a lot of times it's hard for someone like myself who's going through my situation to see it. I see things in both ways. A lot of people don't. A lot of people are like, no, I should just be accepted. Now, on the other hand, I see it as this. Parents didn't grow up with the things that are around today. And a lot of people, usually it's a generational thing. A lot of people don't know. When, you're, when you don't know something, you're afraid of it. You back away from it because it's not natural. But for a lot of parents, so that's one thing I always try to be considerate. And also, I'm here to, to agree to disagree, but I think it's important for us to inform. You know, we can't just sit and say, well, oh, I didn't, I didn't have this growing up, so I don't want to hear about it, because that, then that's just not helping anything. I think it's important to 
acknowledge that you don't you are not aware of what's going on today, but also want to learn because that's the only way people will progress, and that's the only way for the future we'll get better. So I definitely think it is definitely appropriate for people to say, you know, especially for parents. I mean, it's new; it's a new topic, specifically, you know, the transgender community. I think. I mean, people are saying that, you know, this is something that has just been claimed as a thing for the past 10 years, although it has always been around since, like, the 50s. People just didn't identify with it. People didn't say anything because back then you would you would be fired. You'd be killed. Like, right. there's just different things that could happen. But within the past 10 years, things have really been changing. If you could give a few pieces of advice to someone going through these questions in their mind, someone who sort of have, has come to a position that this is who I am. I, I feel that I want to transition so that I can be the person who I was really meant to be. What sort of pieces of wisdom would you like to um, communicate? I would definitely say stick with who you are no matter what the battle is. I mean, I can definitely sit here and say that I've been through quite a bit and I've gone through a lot of hurdles, but I found that when I strayed away from who I was and wasn't being honest about myself, I was most miserable. And so I, I know that, you know, for the people out there, I want people to understand that no matter what the hurdles are, you have to stick, stick with your truth. It's the only way you're going to be honest about yourself. And also being able to not being afraid to, you know, stand up for yourself and letting people know, about yourself and telling them, this is what I feel, this is what this is, what this is. you know, what you may think is the norm is not the norm for me. And being able to agree to disagree, because we're all different, we all have different opinions, and I think it's important to know that. I think it's different when we all have different opinions and the other group of people are feeling like, no, we don't agree, we're going to dehumanize you. That's a different story. But just knowing that other people have opinions and they're going to be rude to you and they're going to say what they feel, and you just put you politely, I would say it is, I, I mean, I've politely insulted a lot of people and not insulting in the sense of like being blatantly rude, but just informing people, being knowledgeable, because it's the only way people are going to change. So sticking to your truth and being knowledgeable and informing, because that's, the, that's what's kind of gotten me through my experience in a sense. So what about asking for help um, going through this, this process? How how should someone language this to their parents, who in some cases may be a little bit more supportive, to teachers, to friends? I think that it's important because I think for me, I know that specifically coming from parents who weren't as accepting, I know it's hard to right. come bring up a topic as such like that, you know, because you know that they're not going to be accepting. But I found that when I, even when my mother wasn't accepting, even when I had my, heard my teachers talking about me, about the things that I've talked to them about, I told them, you know, like there were things that I told my dance teachers. I'm like, I love dancing fluid and I love being masculine at the same time and being in this gender fluid world when I was at the time. You know, I think it's important to speak to teachers and friends and mentors and, and build these connections because these will initially be the people that will help you through being able to speak to your parents, or even they will speak to your parents with you. Like sometimes having a third party there is actually helpful because for your parents, it's just you and her or him and her. Like, you know what I'm saying? But if you have right. a parent, your daughter, and then a third party, it's kind of like, okay, another adult is actually present and speaking because I think they don't, they don't, they're like, well, who's on your side? 
everyone that I know is on my side. But if you have someone who's on your side, you know, going to your parent, then it might open them up a little, I found. Right. So just being able to speak to different people and keeping those connections close because you never know when you'll need them. I, I think that's really important. So I just want to talk a little bit about your day-to-day life. What's it like now? What are you doing? Can you describe an average day for you? So um, at the conservatory, an average day looks basically you wake up from 8 a.m. to about 5 p.m. you're dancing. So you wake up at 8 a.m. and you take a somatic class, which is just warm-up Pilates, gyrotonics, just basically a way to get you warm for your 9 a.m. ballet class. And then from ballet, you go into modern, and then you go into your two electives during the middle of the day. And that can vary from jazz or point or just different, a bunch of different classes that you choose from. Usually after that, it'll be about 1.50, and then I go into rehearsal for two, from 2 to 4, which most times rehearsal this time around, we're getting ready for our fall production of um, From the Ground Up, which is basically our fall show and its class pieces. From the senior, sorry, from the sophomores to the senior classes, we get world-renowned um, choreographers come in, and they basically create original pieces on us, and then we perform it in November. So we're actually, so that two to four block is dedicated to making sure that the pieces are up to par and ready to go on stage. This year, I was lucky enough to work with um, Gregory Dawson, which is basically, he was a co he's a co-founder of Lions Contemporary Ballet in California. So right. he's a big name, and he basically created a piece on my class, and now we're rehearsing for that. So we go from 8 a.m. to 4, and then 5 to about 7 is where I take my lib arts classes. And then I go to work. Oh, I'm ex- yeah, all right. I'm a little exhausted here. Uh, just <laughs> listening to you, that's quite a schedule. So It's a day. Let me ask you, yeah, oh, my gosh. Um, so what's the, the grand vision for you? Like, where do you see yourself? You're experimenting with a lot of different forms of dance. Is mm-hmm. there one particular form of dance that was really pulling at you, I should say? How, do you, how are you figuring that out, I guess, in the short term? And then, then, then sort of like, we all have dreams. What's your dream? Starting with how I am this year, I'm actually going through an intense hormone process at my doctor's because I, fur- I wanted to further my transition. And so, you know, every day, for me at least, has been these past actually three weeks have been, you know, most challenging just because there's a lot going on in my body that's changing. Um, I think right. I have a few goals. One goal is to actually fully finish my transition by the end of my time here at the school. And another goal at this school at the time, I think, is to, I think one thing about me being transgendered in this program is that I'm actually one of, I'm actually one of the first openly transgendered women here at the conservatory. And I've gotten a lot of feedback and a lot of support and, you know, publicity with that. I think, you know, the school is now noticing that we need to be more inclusive to people like myself in college programs like this and and branch out, you know, because that's what's going to make these programs special. So my goal um, is to continue to inform here at the conservatory, which I have done. I've done interviews with people. I've spoken to teachers and given them my insight and been that, you know, space. But overall, after school, and I know that's what you were really um, getting at is that after school, I'm, my goal is to actually audition for a bunch of different companies. My focus was ballet, but I'm actually seeing that um, because I've done that my whole life, as you can see, I'm actually trying to branch out and go into the commercial world and modern dance world and just 
jazz world and different styles. And, you know, I'm even looking into Broadway and the Rockettes and um, doing summer intensives and getting my face out there because these are just all these, there's so many possibilities for me, especially being a trans woman in the dance world. It's very little, like there's not a lot of trans people in dance concert dance companies. And I think for me, I want to be able to change that. And I know that right. going out in the world, there's going to be a lot of no's, but there's going to be that one or two yeses that are really going to change and pave the way for what I believe in. And what that is, is being yourself and knowing that you being yourself can't limit, you know, what someone may say. A community member is not going to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to take you because you're transgender. They're going to look at you because of your talent. And I think that's important to remember for anyone going out there. You know, I, I mean, for me, it's nerve wracking because I'm like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? But I have to remember myself that it's not about your gender or your expression or your identity. It's about, you know, the talent that you give. And I think for me, that's what's most exciting. And also training in a different way. Like I have to train as a female now, which is completely different from training as a male, which has been a lot. So it's been interesting going into that. But I, I just want to so, spread my horizons and be able to go to different companies. So I'm going to be auditioning very soon, actually. Is there anything, any other, like, parting words of wisdom that you want to share with our with our audience? I mean, we've, we've had a very extensive conversation. I am just so in awe of you and your maturity and your strength and your wisdom and your bravery is extraordinary. Thank you. I, I really, I want to, I'm really in awe. So are there any other quick things that you want to impart to our, our audience? I want to say something to everyone is that, you know, the only way I've gotten to where I am today is by being myself. And I think that's something that a lot of people should take from this conversation. Continue to be yourself no matter what, because like I said, it's the only way you're going to be happy on this earth. And we have a very, some people have short time, shorter times here. Some people don't, but we can't predict that. So every day has to be treated as, you know, as if it's, you know, your last day. And I think that's something that I do daily. I'm like, what can I do today? Or what can I get into today? And I'm just so busy all the time. So keep yourself busy. I noticed that that's something that kept me out of trouble too. <laughs> you know, doing, making sure that I always have a plan, making sure that I'm always thinking ahead because when you're proactive, nothing could really go wrong, you know? So yeah, that's, that's pretty much well, what I guess I have to say to everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lily. I am so grateful for this chance to speak with you. What you have really communicated a lot of very important information that is so important, so necessary for a lot of men and women who are thinking about these issues and going through similar issues as you've gone through. And I think it's really amazing that you've given people a sense that you go through a process, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And um, right. you're, you are shining in a very bright way. So I want to congratulate you, and I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And, I mean, I'm just blessed that you guys, again, <laughs> took the time to reach out. And, I mean, you know, like I said, you don't get these opportunities every day, so this is so important to me. And I just thank you for giving me the opportunity. Our pleasure. Thank you.